Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 87. This week, we talk with Omar Revive about magical debugging with Ozcode. Why I'm not using your open source project. And the evolution of the tinfoil hat. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week, we have Omar Raviv, CTO and co-founder of OzCode and an expert in Visual Studio debugging. Welcome, Omar. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you and I had talked at Build some months and months ago, and you showed me some really cool demos, and I said, we have to have you on the show. And it only took, uh, I don't know, <laughs> the better part of a year to finally get you on here, right. but I'm super, super excited about this because I just, it was uh, it was such a, a gem uh, of a find for me at Build. I was like, this is, this is just so cool, and this is something that I just can't believe that everybody isn't using, so super excited. Awesome, yeah, me too. Yep. So Carl, this has been, I think we've, I think we've had more feedback than we've had listeners somehow. <laughs> no, we've just, we've just had an insane amount of feedback, mostly around the theme song, um, but also around the mix of the show. So yep. uh, you, who are we picking this week? So um, we have a bunch of people that we're just going to talk about their feedback. So that's uh, yeah. Louise Adelson Espan, Alan Underwood, Colin Wynn, Glenn Smith, Joe Zach, Jason Rotello, uh, Joseph Woodward. They all had a bunch of feedback for us. So I'm just going to summarize it. We haven't heard one bad thing about the new theme song choice that we had. So mm -hmm. we're, we're happy that everybody else finds it uh, just as, uh, as perfect for the show as we think it is. Um, you like how retro it is and fits in with everything else that we have. Um, yeah. Uh, some of the balance stuff for the most people, uh, for the most part, people think that the uh, content is great and the right amount of time is spent on news and the gas and everything else. But mm -hmm. there's this, there's a little bit of debate about the quote, silly card game at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it was like, it seems like about 80% of people really like it and they're like, don't get rid of it. In fact, we had that one guy who was, you know, uh, he was like personally offended that we skipped it. And, uh, so I, I love that guy, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then we have, yeah, we have uh 20% that just say, you know, get rid of it. Well, I guess we're keeping it because the majority, majority rules here. Yeah. We just might ha in this case have to, uh, like, uh, get a Kickstarter to get a few more cards or something. Yeah, I know we're running out. We're, we're, we're certain running into duplicates. So who did we pick to win the feedback for the Infosix so, Award? So this week, Mike Weller commented on uh, the last episode with uh, Karen McGrain. Uh, he said, good show. I'm a UX designer in training, and the interview with Karen McGrain raised a lot of good points. The organization with underpants on metaphor was familiar and so true. Yeah, that was such an awesome quote. Yeah, so for that uh, piece of feedback, we've selected him as this week's Infragistics Ultimate License Winner of the Week. And if you want to get mentioned on the show and be entered in to win this license, send us an email at feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, or our website like Mike did. Uh, we especially like those five-star iTunes reviews. Yep. Very cool. Okay. So let's get into the news. So what do we got here? So Slack platform launch. So I saw this. So um, you get a good summary of this, Carl? So what's... 
Slack for anybody who might not. Oh yeah, know, I suppose we should describe that. Yeah, there's yeah, probably like three developers that haven't heard of it. So Slack is is uh, an IM client with history. You know, kind of be short about it. Yeah. And uh, Slack is really kind of taken the you know our sphere over the developer technical sphere. A lot of people seem to use it and like it. They have a, a free tier, which is. Uh, really awesome to use. And they also have a paid tier for uh, businesses and organizations and anybody else who wants to give them money. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they've announced is that they are um, making a platform for you to really write code against and, you know, have your, whatever your services are integrate directly with Slack. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen a lot of integrations uh, that uh, have really started, you know, making me realize that, you know, Hey, Slack, this isn't just something you're, you know, it's an add on to make it better. There's, there's people actually, you know, putting their livelihood into Slack. And And I I, called this on the last episode. If you remember Carl. Yeah. There, we had a news article that related to this and yep, they made it official now. Yeah. Yeah. So actually what's funny is if you go, if you go to the list of, if you go to the app directory here, uh, Birdly is in that list, which was the one that I talked about last week. And just talking about, you know, does it make sense? I mean, it's a little scary, like betting your whole product on a different platform. Omer's probably like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but in, in in this case, I think it's even more scary, kind of betting on on Slack um, because these things, you know, Slack does a really good job. It's all about the, you know, I think they do a great job with user experience, and 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 it's amazing because it's it's definitely not anything new. I mean, it's basically like modern IRC. Uh, but, but be, you know, these companies, uh, betting their, their livelihood hooking into that is, uh, is really interesting and it can be a little bit scary, but it's also, um, I think a great way to, um, you know, to get yourself into one of those apps that's, you know, like we talked about last week on the front screen of your phone. Right. So it's very cool. I I found that Slack for us makes the whole, uh, idea of working with remote workers a lot nicer because we have a guy working out of Budapest so he's not physically in our offices and whenever we've got all these integrations set up so whenever someone mentions us on Twitter or whenever someone sends us a, a, a feature request we instantly get it into our Slack stream and we can discuss it and decide how we're gonna deal with it as a team and so it doesn't matter that I'm in one room, uh, my colleague is in the other room, and that guy is over at an, in another country. We all can interact in the same way, and, and it sort of levels the playing field, sort of. So we all feel comfortable together, even though one guy is not in physically in the office. Absolutely. Did, did the team have any issues with adopting it, or did, did everybody pretty much say, yeah, this is awesome? Yeah, it was pretty, like, the only thing is, getting the interactions to work, the integrations with all the other services we use yeah. to work, right? So they don't, you know, pollute our stream too much. How much notifications do we want on each one of these integrations? But once we've got that, uh, you know, working smoothly, everyone was really happy and they started interacting and it was really awesome. Okay. That's a good idea, Car. We need to get the, uh, like the, the Twitter mentions put into uh, our Slack channel. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, two other things that kind of got highlighted here along with this is that there's going to be some sort of Slack fund for mm-hmm. people who build uh, on their platform. So if you're making some sort of enterprise or B2B uh, tooling, uh, there's maybe a way that that could be partially funded by this Slack fund. Oh, that's cool. And Money money is good. And as part of their platform, they're uh, releasing a bot kit. So one of the cool things, they have their Slack bot, and you can integrate other bots like WhoBot and a mm-hmm. few others. Um, 
this bot kit is going to make it easier for you to integrate bots with Slack. So if you're a developer and you're wanting to do that, you might want to check out this API or SDK, whatever it is. Okay, pretty cool. Okay, to string or not to string? Yes, and that's to string uppercase or to string lowercase. Yeah. Um, This was an article by Phil Hack and just kind of got into, you know, you know, we as uh, programmers can get kind of opinion, opinionated about things yeah, that 75 comments on this <laughs> about, Absolutely. about some of our choices, our code stylings, you know, tabs versus spaces, uh, and where you put the, uh, the brackets. But, uh, in, in this case is do you uppercase and lowercase string and two string in, in particular, because in the .NET framework, you can, it's valid to do them either way. And, uh, I think there's some really good opinions here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I do the I do the lowercase string. I just um, I, I guess I never put much thought into it. I mean, I'm using I because I always think of string as like sort of a fundamental type because um, I don't do like int 32, right? Um, so just for just to make things all uh, you know, I don't know. It just seems like a fundamental thing where I'm just going to use the lowercase version. But honestly, like this, I really don't care about. Like I, I'm more passionate about things like tabs versus spaces. <laughs> <laughs> I personally uh, prefer the the uh, um, the lowercase, but I try to keep my opinions to myself there because yeah. I, I find that whenever I uh, someone brings up one of these issues, then pretty much it it f- fuels a debate that people feel as passionate about as as if we were discussing religion, like curly braces or no curly braces. Is there a god? Yeah. It all it's all basically the same <laughs> the same discussion, and so I I, I always try to like control my inner su- subjective thoughts like of course it should be lowercase and sort of keep those feelings to myself and and basically get into like saying okay well we could do this we could do that as long as we're we agree on which one which road we're taking and we agree that the entire code base is going to uh, is going to be, uh, you know, conformant to the one thing that we agreed upon, or we have an automated tool that makes sure that we are all conformant and and note that it isn't really an issue. Then I'm cool with that. So Omer, here's your next add-in idea. So here here's how it works. So basically, you you make your choices like that, okay, and that's what gets checked in a source control. But each developer gets to pick what they want. So it could be tabs versus spaces. It could be where the curly bracket goes. Whatever, right? And what you do in the add-in is you actually lie to the developer and you actually show it to them in the way that they want to see it. Okay. So you check it in as whatever this. Yeah. 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 So basically like, you know, so Phil hack here, um, and which he was a guest of the show a while back. Um, whenever he's looking at his code, he will see the uppercase string. Okay. When he checks it in, like everybody else might like the lowercase string, the actual source control will actually show the lowercase. Okay. The other developers will see it in the way that they want. And also, like I said, the curly brackets, the tabs versus spaces, just lie to them and just show them what they want to see. Then everybody be like, yep, this is exactly the way I wanted it. I love that idea. I'd take it a one step further and say, recognize, use facial recognition from the webcam to figure out who is using the computer and then change all the string to uppercase and lowercase and also change all the uh, shortcut bindings for that particular person. That's the next startup, man. Because like, whenever okay. I, I go over and, and try and help my colleague who's using the wrong, you know, uh, 
the Forsaken uh, Resharper uh, keyboard, yeah. keyboard shortcut bindings. I'm like, my, my fingers don't, I feel like my fingers aren't working the way they should. And a part of my body is burning. So yeah, that's the next part. <laughs> you, you'd have to like have them, you'd be like, cover up your face so that it only sees my <laughs> Otherwise, if there's like two people there, it's going to keep switching back and forth uh, between the two. Right. Okay, well, we we talked about that way too long. Okay, uh, <laughs> Stack Exchange to adapt MIT license for all code snippets and examples in 2016. Um, so, what are they? Do you know what they're using today, Carl? Yeah, yeah. So right now they're they're using Creative Commons attributions share alike, okay. and and well, that's really cool for the content. One of the things that they really ask themselves is, what does this offer us for code? And the answer is, you know, that's a great uh, license, but it really doesn't it was never meant to cover code. Uh, and so that's what, what kind of started this code is different and it's, it's been an ambiguous is how they word it on how it covers code. And they want to just kind of nail this. So nobody has to worry about it. So um, they actually moved back their date that they were going to adopt it. They were going to do it right away in uh, January 1st, 2016. They're going to push it back a month to get a little bit more feedback. But as of now, starting February 1st, all new code contributions will be under the MIT license. So anytime you see a code snippet or anything, um, and they said under the terms, you don't you don't have to put the MIT license if you copy and paste into your code. You don't have to put the MIT license with your code. Okay. Um, however, if somebody does ask you for the full license, they ask that you um, mention where you got it. Okay. And so where, so where do you have to mention that? Because like, I've seen, so I've you actually don't, seen, you don't in, have to do it unless somebody asks you right now. Okay. Yeah. But like, I, I guess what I, what I want to do just to make my life simple, like, uh, historically what I've done is, um, in my code, you know, I'll always put a comment in there that, that has a link back to the, the stack overflow. So I don't uh, know if you just tossed me a softball or if you haven't read this. But, read it. <laughs> but it, it says to future proof your work, we, re- we recommend that you do the following two things. Oh, okay. Add a comment to your code that links back to the post where you found it. And that's actually really easy. Um, okay. It, when you're logged in, if you just want to link to a certain answer, they have a little share button where it'll, if you copy that, it'll take you right to that answer. If there's like, you know, a dozen of them on the page. Okay. And then to make it easier, include a full text license of the MIT license with your source. Um, you don't have to do both, but if you do both, it'll be uh, no work on your part for the future. Okay. But, okay. but I like in, including the link to the answer, um, partially just for historical record. Yeah. Um, sometimes people update that and change it. Uh, sometimes uh, that provides just more context to the problem than I can put in there in a comment myself. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I'll just, I'll go back and see like, what was I thinking? Where did I get this information? Okay, uh, computers get busy for national national novel generating month. Um, actually, did we both? Okay, no, so, no, we you put it in there, and I just cleaned up your link. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, so this will be real quick, but there's basically a, a contest that I guess has been going on for for a couple of years here, um, where you you are encouraged to create a uh, program that generates a novel. So it has to be fifty thousand words. And, uh, and there's almost, there's very few rules on this. Um, they said that you could literally have a 50,000 word book that is, um, meow, uh, (laughs) uh, which would be, uh, kind of an interesting novel. I don't, I don't think that I would read that one personally. Uh, maybe just skim that one. Uh, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of like GitHub repos where you can go see some of the books out there. And, 
you know, they're a varying quality. Like some of them, you, you sort of read them and, and it's like, okay, these are words and this sort of makes sense. Um, it, it's just, it's kind of interesting to, to read uh, fiction generated by computers. I, I think it's more of a mashup between technology and art. I mean, yeah. uh, one of the examples actually took the, the, an image of the cover for Ernest Hemingway's yeah. book, The Sun Also Rises, and actually just described each color. So <laughs> it took the hex value and found the closest name value. And it's like, okay, this is University of California gold, or, you know, this is brass. I love this. Chapter 786 includes a <laughs> sentence, black, invisible. It looks like your image had exactly one transparent uh, pixel. <laughs> so that's the, that's the highlight of the novel. So yeah. sorry, I should have said spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's keep moving on here. Why I'm not using your open source project. So this was just kind of cool because it, you know, this, this guy went through and, uh, you know, he just, he just said some of the reasons why he, you know, why he wouldn't use your project. And the whole point of this is if you have an open source project to make sure you're, uh, not doing these things so that you can, uh, so that people will want to adopt your, your project. So things like you aren't maintaining the code. So, you know, basically when was the last commit, you know, how often are the commits? I mean, these are all the things that we look, look at. Um, he just put them into, into words. Uh, you don't have documentation or tests. You aren't using the project. Um, I've been guilty of that on a couple, uh, your project doesn't have a license. Heck, I would even say like, you know, you just have like no summary. Like there's a lot of code out there that just says nothing. And I'm guilty of this on a couple of projects, but all of those are signs that, uh, this is probably not the best thing to use because it was probably somebody wrote, uh, one time. And, and honestly, in those cases, uh, ideally it will have at least a license that way you can figure out if you can use that, you know, that code. Cause maybe you're not going to use like the binary result of that thing. Maybe you can just copy and paste some of the, the code snippets out of there and then start maintaining that yourself or fork it and, and just, and start maintaining the project yourself, which would be even better. Yeah. The, the only thing I actually don't entirely agree with is that, um, that you aren't m maintaining your code because there are some projects that are for a sense, uh, all intents and purposes are finished. I mean, it's yeah. good code. I mean, there's not, not all the projects that we use are huge. Some of them are, you know, maybe an, uh, uh, extension helper library. Yeah. Uh, Log really was of, always a good yeah. example of that. Like the, the, it just, it moved really slow because it was so complete and, and it was really good. And most of the innovation was happening in the, in the appenders and, and things like that. So yeah, that's a good point, Carl. Uh, and then this last story, uh, which Carl did not want to do, <laughs> uh, but, but here, here's the thing, Carl, you know, I wear a tinfoil hat every day and it's starting to look kind of ratty, you know, you, it gets balled up at the end of the day and then I unball it and, you know, tinfoil just doesn't, it doesn't hold up that well. So, right? so I, I'm going to take this on a slight tangent here, <laughs> talking about tinfoil hats. There was an article recently that, uh, mentioned that. Uh, tinfoil hats actually amplify the kinds of waves that people are trying to avoid oh, themselves from. Oh, because it's like a parabolic from. dish? It, not just a parabolic okay. dish, but it, the, it enhances the signals that actually a, a, acts as an antenna. Okay. So. Yeah, and the signals that my brain gives off are just reflected right back. So, you know, I'm trying to get rid of those harmful brain waves there, but uh, it won't let me. So anyway, <laughs> what's the whole point of this? So there's actually a Kickstarter project. And I... I don't, uh, I don't suggest backing this, but, uh, go take a look at it. So it's shield the, f the world's first signal proof headwear. So basically it's a hat, uh, that is basically a tinfoil hat. Um, it's, you know, it looks like a regular hat, but they basically put electromagnetic shielding in here. The idea being that you're not going to get, uh, so it says anti-radiation, anti-odor, antibacterial, easy maintenance, 
Um, so, you know, if you're really paranoid about all the radio waves that are, that are flying around, or as they call it, uh, the electromagnetic smog, then this is the hat for you. So you gonna you gonna back this, Carl? No. <laughs> and they have a whole bunch of different pro- products on here. I just I just thought this was just kind of kind of laughable. I've heard like this stat where all of the electromagnetic radiation you get in your entire life is is enough. I, I think it you can like warm up a cup of coffee. Uh, that's that's like the the sum total of all of it. So I don't know. Uh, maybe there'll be people that, that aren't mutants at one point and it's all the people that bought this hat. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Well, we wasted a lot of time not, not talking to Omer. So let's, uh, let's start talking to him. Cause he, he has a really cool tool here that, uh, uh, that I really want to talk about. So I guess let's just start with, you know, what is Ozcode? Sure. So Ozcode is a visual studio extension that makes your debugging experience whenever you're debugging C-sharp code uh, much easier and more efficient and, and magical. So I was going to say, you can use the word magical because it is. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do, really. We're, we're trying to make it so... We, I call it decrease your time to aha factor. So we want to take you from that moment where you're just banging your head against the wall and trying to figure out the bug and don't even know where to begin to that point where you have that magical aha moment. It's like, oh, that's what it was. That, so that's the whole point of the product, really, to, to get you there much quicker. And the way we do that is we basically uh, we install on top of Visual Studio and we transform your debugging experience. So uh, the most basic thing you'll, you'll notice probably is that once you hover over a variable, instead of getting the normal window Visual Studio gives you, you get the Oz code window, which lets you do a whole bunch of stuff. Like, for instance, it lets you search and filter and compare variables, or if, for instance, since you hover over a, a collection of customers and nobody bothered to implement toString on the customer class, then you look at, at that list and it doesn't give you anything really useful because the default mm-hmm. toString is just the, the type name. And so Ozcode will let you customize the way information is displayed in the debugger so you pick off and start the fields and properties that are important to you. So you say, I'll want to see the ID and the full name whenever I see a customer. And Ozcode will dynamically change the way the information is shown in the debugger so you can have a much more pleasant experience and you don't have to open each one and, and see and see what the contents are. Yeah, I just wanted to say like the the main video that you have on your website, mm-hmm. I, I really liked it because you you show this uh, you you do like this old timey effect and you show like the, the the you know sort of I'll just call it the default like Visual Studio debugger. Yeah, and and you know I never really thought about it like when we'll we'll talk about all the the cool stuff in Ozcode. But once you see all that stuff and then you sort of go the other direction, it's kind of like going from high definition, like your standard FTV, you know, this is kind of a dated analogy now, but whenever we, everybody was used to standard definition, you go look at high definition, you're like, oh, that's great. And then you go back to standard definition. You're like, how, how can anybody watch that? And it was sort of the, and it's sort of the same experience. Like you watch that video and it's just like, here's the old debugging experience. And then you show the new stuff. And, and now my problem is I don't think I can go back to the old school debugging I'm going to be like, oh, this this is not very powerful. <laughs> I just wanted to compliment that video. I thought it was really cool. Uh, thank you. That was actually made by someone that's not an artist, just a C-sharp developer. With, and she had a, 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 bu- a bunch of spare time. She was in between projects. And we were like, 
we need to make some videos. Can you just go crazy and make some some promotional videos? <laughs> and she just went crazy and she did this Charlie Chaplin effect. And there's a, a, a video where we're showing like you're in a circus and you're seeing your C-sharp code. She, so she, she loved it. And <laughs> it was a really, That's really fun cool. time. So I find that usually when you come across uh, a product like this, that there's usually kind of an interesting story on why it was made. So how, how did OzCode come to be? Um, well, I think sort of the history of OzCode starts um, in sort of my and also my personal journey as a, a developer and my very first job as a software developer. So I was working as a junior developer in the medical imaging industry. So I was actually working on the software that the doctors and the technicians at the hospital used to operate a CT scanner. And... I had a really, really rough time on that project. I was working on all these really, really complicated problems that all had to do with the 3D box object that represents the space in the patient's body that we're about to be scanning. Uh, and of course, you had all these different coordinate systems. So one coordinate system had it so the y-axis is going from head to toe, and another coordinate system had it going from shoulder to shoulder, and yet oh, another yeah. had it going from belly button to back. And of course, the person <laughs> could be entering the CT scanner on their back or on their stomach. Um, so all these really, really complicated problems. And I just felt I'm not doing a very good job um, figuring out my bugs and solving them. And every few months, I remember they used to take us out to the hospital to actually sit in the x-ray room and sort of see how our code is being put to use by the doctors and the technicians and everybody. That's great. Yeah, it was a really, really awesome experience, but it was also like a very scary experience because I just I remember just sort of sitting in my chair there, very, very frightening, uh, frightened and looking at the computer screen and thinking to myself, well, I, I sure hope this thing doesn't crash because if it does and, and they have to deliver a double dosage of radiation to that patient, they're probably going to want a better answer than just uh, yep. object reference was not set to instance of a variable, right? Yeah, the, the, ter <laughs> the terror of the demo, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's not, I'm just imagining the doctors like, man, this object reference issue is like, this is like a widespread <laughs> epidemic. Let's contact the CDC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so I, I was having this really, really tough time sort of stepping through my code in Visual Studio, trying to s figure out the bug. I felt like I was doing a lot of work to appease the debugger, to sort of figure out how exactly I need to use the watch window to find that sort of needle in the haystack, to find the bit of information that I need in order to really understand the root cause of the bug so that I can provide the best solution for it. Um, I think it, that's also the time in my life when it sort of crystallized in my mind that the real challenge in debugging is equal parts uh, intellectual and psychological or, or even emotional, uh, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Because when you're trying to solve a really, really complicated problem, to be truly efficient at debugging, you need to apply this completely rigorously methodical intellectual process where um, I call it applying the scientific method religiously. Like you have to yeah. know at each point in time exactly what is your hypothesis, what your theory is of why the program is misbehaving. And then you either prove or disprove that hypothesis and you move on to the next hypothesis. Mm -hmm. But 
what happens all too often, and I think we've all been guilty of this, is you tend to slip into this uh, sort of failure mode. So uh, you try to solve a problem for an hour and then another hour and then another hour and you don't succeed. And then you just brush up against how you as a human being deal with that feeling of failure. And that's where you start doing the really stupid debugging mistakes. That's where you start, you know, proving to your, trying to disprove something you already proved to yourself a couple of hours ago and you get into that zombie mode where you're just hitting F10 over and over and sort of mm -hmm. staring at the screen, uh, at the computer screen blankly and hoping that the bug will sort of jump out of the computer screen and, and bite you in the face because you're that desperate. Um, so that, I think that's where OzCode was born is, is out of that frustration and, and that feeling that if we can create tools that will get you to that aha moment much, much quicker, then we skip the whole three hours of bashing your head against the wall and feeling all that frustration in the first place. Very cool. Very cool. So let's actually talk about some of the features. I mean, you, you lay them out really well on the website. So it's oz-code.com. Um, but like on here, there's, there's things like magic glance, um, which this, this looks pretty cool. Cause it's actually showing, you know, some of the, the variable values above the line. Uh, so do you want to talk about, I mean, let's just walk through each feature. So let's sure. talk about magic glance first. Sure. So the magic glance and the whole heads up display thing that we added in version 2.0 of OzCode is mm -hmm. basically our ability to draw your the information that's related to your debugging session right on top of your code. So we're sort of trying to solve that cognitive dissonance that happens when you're trying to figure out the bug and you're looking at the code and then looking down at the watch window and then back up at the code and then back down at the watch window until you get severe neck pain. And we're <laughs> sort of overlaying the information, the most inf relevant information about the, de uh, the debugging session or the runtime execution of your program uh, right on top of your code. So you'll see things like we actually figure out what each method returned and, and show you that right on top of your code. And when there's a, an, a complicated if statement and you want to figure out, okay, which part of this if statement returned true on which uh, one of those returned false. The usual thing that you do without OzCode is you you probably take each one of those sub-expressions uh, and take them into the watch window or the quick watch window and say, okay, so I had uh, this guy was false and that guy was yeah. true, so it, false or true or false and sort of do all the <laughs> Boolean logic in your or, head. Or you just hover your cursor over it. But, you know, then yeah. you're sitting there, it's like, you know, there's like a one second delay and you got to sit there and hover over every single value. Right. And it's crazy in hindsight, like how much time that takes up. Right. And so what we do with OzCode is we try to create this visual language, and that's what the magic glance is. So we just do simple things like we uh, draw green over every expression that's true and red over every expression that's false, and we uh, draw all these inline adornments uh, where we show you what each method return, each property getter return, so you can see exactly what happened as you step through your code. And the nice thing about the magic glance is you can step through, step through, step through, and then immediately see everything that happened in the current method up until this point. So you're never stuck in that position where you're like, oh man, I stepped through too far. Now I got to rerun the whole thing just to get to where I was at. Um, so once you toggle that magic glance on, it will show you the history of everything that happened up until that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if anybody's familiar with the Chrome debugger, it does something real similar. Where as you, as you step through the code, previous lines will show you what the what the values were as it stepped through. Uh, this really reminds me of that. And in Chrome, I know it's like it's it's just like life changing. And also being able to like set a breakpoint, and then as you F five like through a loop, and you 
you know, you come back around to the next loop iteration. All, also, all those historical values above you are changed. So you can see as you loop through, you can keep looking at that state without having to add that watch. So it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, I think that's ultimately, that's what the debugger should be really, really good at. And that's the yeah. problem that we've been trying to solve and, and continue to try and solve is that right now, when you're debugging, usually you're just looking at a particular point in time where your, your yellow line is in Visual Studio, where the instruction pointer is. And that's a very, very narrow view of your program's execution. It's sort of like mm -hmm. trying to look through a straw at this entire room and figure out where everything went. Um, so we're trying yeah. to sort of solve that problem of uh, allowing you to debug uh, and, and figure out what happened in the history of your program and what's about to happen. And so, uh, and we're working on, on future features where we'll allow you to sort of navigate through time very smoothly and see everything that happened, not just that one particular line of code where we're currently at. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second and I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp charting, gauges, barcodes. It's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. The next item that I thought was really interesting was the object compare. What can you tell us about that? Um, sure. So we have this whole feature called compare, where we're allowing you to uh, sort of say, I want to take this uh variable or collection and compare it to that variable or collection. Uh, this is extremely useful, for instance, when you're using uh, some serialization logic that's gone wrong. So you serialize a bunch of objects and you notice that when you deserialize them back out of the memory stream or whatever it is, they something's wrong with them, but you can't figure out what exactly is wrong with them. So what OSCODE will let you do is actually say, okay, I just want to compare this guy to that variable over there. And OSCODE will open up this view where we're doing sort of the same thing that beyond compare or kdiff or whatever it is you use for diffing source file does, but we're doing it for objects and collections in memory. So we'll actually show you, okay, this property and this property and that property are red because those were different, but all of those over there were the same thing. And you can very quickly visually see what the difference are. And then we take that feature actually one step further and we even let you say, okay, I want to take a snapshot of the value of 
this given variable right now. And then I step through some more or run my program further, step through some method that has some side effects, and then say, okay, now I want to compare this variable to the value it had a minute ago. And Ah, so it's like a temporal compare. That's really cool. Yeah, so I can actually see what side effects my uh, method is doing uh, in reality and see uh, w- what went wrong. Because lots of most of the trickier bugs usually have to do with state, right? You yeah. call a method and it changes or corrupts the state of your object in a way that you weren't expecting. And that's when uh, things were all, uh, wrong. Yeah, it's cool. There's a checkbox too, show differences only. And that's really cool. So you can see like, like you said, a, a cool scenario with this is I, I serialize an object, then I deserialize it. You know, maybe I'm developing the serializer or I'm doing, you know, whatever, I guess what, it doesn't really matter what the method is. I can hit this show differences only. And then it'll show me like, here's, here's what the before and after here, here's what doesn't match up. And that's, uh, that's uh, pretty cool. Cause you know, I, I'm always thinking back to like, what is the alternative of this? And right. There like is none. <laughs> this well, isn't the, something you just made better. This is something that like, I don't think you really could do before without just putting it in your head. Yeah. I think the alternative is exactly what I used to do uh, back in my, my previous job where I sat down in front of the watch window and I had a piece of paper and I opened up <laughs> all the little plus signs and I copied all the values into my piece of paper. Then I ran the program again or the unit test again and then compared it to what it was before just manually with a, a piece of paper and a pencil. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, there's some kind of time machine feature in here. Predict the future. Yeah. So that's <laughs> actually one of the things that we're most excited about. It's it's yeah. a new feature that we've introduced in version 2.0. And predict the future is basically Ozcode is now able to predict what's about to happen in your, in your program. So let's say you have an if statement um, and your yellow line is on the if statement. So the yellow line is what's about to happen as soon as you hit F10. And Ozcode is actually smart enough to figure out what every method call is about to return and what every expression will uh, evaluate to and show you those results in advance. And sort of if you have an if statement, uh, uh, we color the parts that are going to return uh, uh, true in green, for instance, and actually let you drill in and see why that uh, expression is actually true. And the really cool thing about this is the way it integrates with edit and continue. And I personally really, really love what... uh, has become of of the whole edit and continue experience in Visual Studio 2015. Uh, I've been using Visual Studio 2015 from the very early previews. And for me, the things that that is the hardest to get used to in Visual Studio 2015 is just how awesome the whole edit and continue experience has become. Mm. Edit and continue, of course, being the ability to change your code while you're debugging. And then as soon as you hit F5, that those changes are magically compiled and and inserted into your process, into your live process. Uh, So in previous versions of Visual Studio, we had all these limitations, like you couldn't do edit and continue if you're debugging a method that had any sort of Lambda expression in it, or if it was an async method, or if you were doing 64-bit debugging. So I actually used to have that sort of muscle memory. So as soon as I figure out the bug in my head, my fingers would automatically go for the Shift F5 keys, uh, because I realized that, okay, now I'm going to have to fix the bug and then recompile everything and, and, mm-hmm. and rerun everything. And now with Visual Studio 2015, um, you don't have to do that anymore. The Roslyn team and the debugger team have done such an awesome job of removing all those limitations that edit and continue 
for the most part, just works perfectly. And once you integrate that with the fact that OzCode now predicts what's about to happen, we get this experience of live coding. So let's say you have an if statement and the problem is that you wrote a larger than the maximum instead of a smaller than the maximum. As soon as you uh, change that, fix that bug, OzCode will instantly predict, okay, what's about to happen in your code given the changes that you just made. So as soon as you lift your fingers off the keyboard, you get instant feedback. You Okay, so now instead of flashing uh, red, the expression is now flashing green because it's about to return true. So that whole experience of, of getting instant feedback on the changes that you make is really what Predict is all about. It's about making the whole edit and continue experience more fun and allowing you to sort of experiment with code changes uh, on the fly. Yeah, you had showed me something like that at Build. I remember um, you were at the beginning of a, of a method and I don't even think any of the code in there had executed and, and Oz code pops up and it's like, Oh, by the way, when this executes, uh, this line right here is going to throw an exception and here's why. And that's what I was just blown away. I'm like, that is so cool. Like, I, I don't have to like sit there and like step through and like, when is it going to throw the exception and what's the deal and analyze it. And like, it, it just, it was, that was incredible. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think the, the nicest thing about the whole predict thing is that uh, it predicts uh, if an exception is about to be thrown in, in the current uh, mm-hmm. line that you're about to step through. So uh, if you have, for instance, the you know the nastiest problem that every developer hates, which is a null reference exception, and you want to figure out, okay, which damn part of this big <laughs> chunk of code is yeah. the thing that's null. And exactly. so what, what we do now with OzCode is we do predictive analysis of your, your code. So we can tell you, okay, if you have um, a bunch of chain method calls in a fluent expression, so you have A dot B dot C dot E uh, dot F, whatever, and C is the thing that's null and causing the exception, then we'll just highlight that C method call in red so you can see exactly where the problem is. And that's th- that's usually the feature that, that gets people like uh, start clapping their hands because as soon as we show it at build and conferences, because they're like, oh man, that's a pain that I have every single day. Um, the other thing we do with exceptions that people tend to really like is we try and make the whole ex- uh, experience of figuring out a complicated uh, uh, chain of exceptions that were thrown and rethrown uh, much, much easier because uh, people tend to have a really hard time where you you have an exception that was thrown and rethrown, and you want to figure out where that exception came from. And you open up that exception assistant window in Visual Studio, and then you go through the whole uh, loop that we've all been through, where you go to the inner exception and the inner inner exception and the inner 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 exception, and then you try to. <laughs> oh, look I've up. never done that. No, never, <laughs> not in my life. Uh, and then you probably, you know, take the call stack, try to copy paste it into Notepad so you can figure out, okay, where, which line of code is this, uh, is this coming from? And so what we have with OzCode is this, we just added a, a window for that. So you open the uh, exception trail window and then you, you get this nice breadcrumb control, which show, just shows you all the inner exceptions and let you navigate yeah, directly to where the exception was from. Yeah, awesome. it looks amazing. This is, this is the way the, the UI in Visual Studio needs to be. This is, this is really cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's sort of the, what are those called? Chevrons? It's like the, the Chevron, uh, they're all listed on there and then you, you can just press whichever one and it's really cool. Oh, I just noticed too, you even, uh, 
in the animated GIF GIF here, you uh, you have a little button here where you can search on Stack Overflow or search Bing or I don't know. Yeah, if in there. so you got uh, Google and and Stack Overflow. Oh, and Bing MSDN. is there. This is at the bottom of the list. You should and make those alphabetical. Bing should be at the top. <laughs> yeah, we sort of had to add Bing for political correctness because yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, we'll we'll get around. No, that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so. I, I was also looking, you also do some uh, special stuff for breakpoints. Can you tell us about that? Uh, sure. So part of what we're trying to do is just make your experience of controlling the execution flow. And this is something that I often you know, focus a lot on when I teach people debugging is that you sh- breakpoints are sort of like the bread and butter of debugging because they allow you to control the execution flow. And being mm-hmm. efficient at debugging is getting to where you want very, very quickly. So it's not a matter of, of letting the debugger control you, but you are in control of the debugger. And you see people who uh, let the debugger control them all the time. The, the surest sign of that is like if you have a for each loop and you want to get to a specific point and you just hit F10 over and over and over and over like, like, a, like a zombie until you reach that one item that you're looking for. Um, so mastering your more advanced breakpoints will get you to that point where you're in control of the debugger. And so what we do with Oscode is we let you create advanced breakpoint much more easily. So the whole process of, of setting up a conditional breakpoint is kind of messy because you have to type it all in uh, manually and the IntelliTrace do- and the IntelliSense doesn't yeah. always I've work. I've never been able to do it, by the way, in Visual really? Studio. Really? Yeah. What? Like, no, I, I, for what, I, I've even showed people, I'm like, why, why does this never happen? Cause they, I'm looking for a, a specific, you know, cause it, the expression has to be true or whatever. And I never quite know what syntax to put in there and there's no help. It's like, Oh, here's a text field. And maybe this got better. This was a while ago whenever I had been doing this. Yeah. And it was just, it was just a poor experience and I could just never get it to work. And it was never clear what it was going to do. So the fact that you're making it way more clear, uh, this is, I mean, this is way better. This is, this is much improved. Thank you. Yeah. So, so we do a couple of different things there. First, we, we allow you to uh, create the, the conditional breakpoint. Uh, we sort of fill in the expression for you. So let's say you hover over a person and you hover over the age. So once you go into the, uh, you hover over this um, magic uh, wand thing and the magic wand is sort of like the bearer of good news. This is Ozco telling you there's all sorts of useful stuff you could be doing with this particular bit of information. And then you can say, uh, um, add conditional breakpoint and we'll fill in the conditional for you. So we'll say yeah. customer.age equals to so-and-so and then you can edit it and get a, an instant uh, feedback of whether that expression is currently uh, true or false. Another thing that we do with breakpoints that uh, I think is really, really helpful is we actually uh, make a feature that is already in there in Visual Studio and in fact has been there in Visual Studio since the dawn of time, since like Visual Studio 2005, uh, much more usable. And that feature is trace points. So trace points are basically your ability to go to a line of code and say, whenever we hit that line of code, rather than break into the debugger, I just want to write some trace information, uh, some logging statement. And this is especially useful if you're trying to debug uh, like a very complicated multi-threaded scenario. Because usually what happens when you're trying to debug multi-threaded code is you get this experience where you step through, step through, step through in the debugger, and all of a sudden an exception pops up from a different thread, and then you're on that thread, and you try to step through, and it very quickly becomes a scenario where you're just trying to juggle too many balls in your head at once. So what works for me in those types of situations is I tend to rely 
on just good old-fashioned uh, printf debugging, where you just add a bunch of logging to your code, and, and then you go to uh, a log viewer and sort of figure out, okay, what happened here? So the trace feature in OzCode uh, will basically let you um, hover over whatever bits of information, whatever variables are interesting to you and instantly add them to a, a, a trace point. And a trace point, again, is just like a breakpoint, only we don't break on it, we write a trace. And then you get to view all that output in a fully featured log viewer that we've baked into Visual Studio. Uh, so that's sort of the difference between Visual Studio's native trace points where the output all just goes to the output window and you have to scroll on through along with mm -hmm. all of the other junk that goes to the output window. You get this fully featured uh, log viewer where you have all everything you'd expect out of a fully featured log viewer like um, searching and filtering and, and seeing the call stack for where each log came from and and the biggest uh, sort of uh, sort of uh, um, the biggest thing you get out of this is that you can change those trace points as you debug. So you don't have to add a bunch of logging, stop the program, recompile everything, run it again, figure out that, okay, I actually want to add some more logging over there and then go through that whole cycle yet again. You can change those dynamically inside the same debugging session. Very cool. And then I see a feature in here called, um, you call it custom expressions. And this really reminds me of like calculated columns in SQL Server where you have sort of a, a virtual property that, that doesn't actually exist in there, but you can look at it. So do you want to describe this? Because this is really cool. Yeah, so that's pretty much exactly how you described it. Uh, a custom expression is basically your ability to say, I want to add a calculation upon that object uh, to the way that object is shown in the debugger. So let's say you have a customer object and you want to calculate the person's BMI, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, you could stop your co program and add, either change the two string or add another property to your code and then recompile everything just so that you can more easily view it in the debugger. But what OzCode will let you do is just add a custom expression and, and you put in whatever calculation in there you want. Mm -hmm. uh, and then whenever you view an object of that type in the debugger, you will see your custom expression. Uh, yeah. So you'll see the result of that calculation. And it just makes uh, the hairier, uh, trickier situations a lot, lot easier when you can customize the way the debugger is showing you something uh, as you go along on the fly. Sort well, especially of. when you have a list. I mean, because your example here with the BMI is great because you show a list of people and then you can actually see a list of BMIs right next to them. So you can you know, sort of figure out what's going on with, uh, with those values. So that, that's really cool. Cool. So with 2015, uh, there was a huge switch in visual studio compilers to use Roslyn. Are you using Roslyn in any way with Ozcode? Uh, yeah, actually we are. And we also had to make that huge switch ourselves, And this was actually like a huge dilemma for us. So version 1.0 of Ozcode, uh, shipped long before uh, Roslyn was ever publicly mm -hmm. available. And initially we were using the uh, nRefactory library, which is what you used to use before you had Roslyn. Uh, and it was made by the brilliant people who made the Sharp Develop open source IDE. And we used that for all of our parsing and semantic analysis of our code. And then after version 1.0 shipped, uh, we had this huge dilemma because we knew that once Visual Studio 2015 ships, uh, we'll want to add support for all the new uh, C-Sharp 6 language features. And the only two options we had were to either go and implement those uh, support for those language features into NRefactory ourselves, because no one else was maintaining it at the time, mm. or we make the huge big switch and and 
change our entire code base to use Roslyn. And this was a decision that we agonized over for the, the longest time and we like, we were so concerned whether the timing was right and we made this huge pro and con matrices that were a befitting of a NASA space exploration mission, basically. <laughs> um, but in the end, we just decided that um, we're going to do it. We're going to make the plunge and we're going to switch to Rosin. And a bunch of interesting things happened that resulted from that. Uh, one thing that happened is about halfway through uh, of this whole process of, of changing our entire code base to use Rosin, uh, we figured out that there's a uh, there's a behavior we want out of Rosin that's just not in there, and we're kind of stuck. And uh, to get a bit more specific, the behavior we were wanting is the ability to uh, parse and semantically analyze expressions that aren't, strictly speaking, legal. Because mm. if you... Um, Enter a, a, an when you enter an expression into the watch window, uh, you can basically do whatever you want in terms of accessibility. So you can actually uh, write an expression that's calling a private method of an internal object that you would normally have no access to. And mm -hmm. the debugger will just, and the watch window will just let you do that because that's a useful thing to have. Uh, but when we try to get Rosin to uh, semantically analyze that expression, uh, Rosin would basically say, no, this thing doesn't compile. You, you can't do that. I'm not going to help you. Uh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So, so we basically uh, t started a conversation with the Rosin team and sort of explained our situation and why we are stuck. And in the end of that discussion, they basically said, okay, that, that sounds reasonable. Uh, so send us a pull request. And we were like, okay, uh, I guess <laughs> we're sending a pull request for the C-sharp compiler. And <laughs> then we also figured out that they're probably not going to be accepting this pull request if it doesn't support vb.net. Uh, as much as it supports C-sharp. So we yeah. had to go and find the one guy in the entire company that knows VB.net and tell him, <laughs> uh, you're writing a pull request to the compiler, mister. To which he replied, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so for about two months, we, we worked on this pull request and we eventually... Uh, what The moment that that pull request was accepted was a jarring, like, oh my God moment for all of us because we were like, okay, indeed, there is this whole new Microsoft that we yeah. didn't know. Um, and another really cool thing that, like a huge win that happened out of that whole switch uh, was the big performance win that we got. So mm -hmm. Ozcode actually supports all the different versions of Visual Studio 2010, 12, 13, and 15. But we use Rosin in a bit of a different way in each version. So, uh, and we... Uh, try and do a bunch of performance uh, uh, optimizations wherever we can. So for instance, when you're using Visual Studio 2015, um, whenever Ozcode needs like a syntax tree or a semantic model that represents uh, uh, your source file, um, we ask Roslyn to just hand it over. And because everything in, Ro in Roslyn is immutable, um, Roslyn says, sure, no problem. I already have this syntax tree laying around. There you go. And so the memory consumption was decreased very, very dramatically when we made that switch. Mm -hmm. uh, Ozcode has to do a lot less heavy lifting to get the information it wants to analyze your code. And an that's sort of the main thing that Ozcode does. It, it, it talks to two major things. It talks to the Roslyn uh, compiler platform to get the static information, the static analysis of your code on one hand, and it talks to the debugger APIs on the other hand to get the information about the runtime execution of your program. Okay. 
Um, and you mentioned before the show that you have some automatic unit testing. So how, how does that actually work? How do you guys actually test the extension? Mm, that's a really interesting point because to be completely honest, mm-hmm. when we first started out, we didn't really have proper uh, automated testing in place. Well, because you have such an amazing debugger. <laughs> oh, right, right. Well, that's not actually not true. So like, no, whenever... I it Whenever does help I, though. I'm sure. I'm sure that helps, you know, like you know, the, the the initial quality of the code, if you have a really good debugger, does you know, I'm not gonna say don't write unit tests, but you know, it, it would it's it's going to improve the quality of your software and it, which you know, some people would say, Well, okay, I need less unit tests. I wouldn't do that, but but yeah, that I could see that logic. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um I would say, yeah, definitely the goal is to free your time. So I, I believe that every single minute that you spend using the debugger is a minute that you've essentially squandered away. Because yeah. when you think about it, while you're debugging, you're not really creating any value for your employer, right? You're not writing a new feature. You're not refactoring and improving the quality of your existing code base. You're just yeah. fixing something that shouldn't have been there in the first yeah. place. And you have nothing to show for it. Exactly. Except, okay, so now it actually works. Good job. Yeah programmer. And so what we're trying to do is to make it so you can spend as little time using the debugger as possible by by making your time using the debugger quality time instead of wasting time. But I do think that automated testing is extremely important and it, it in fact goes hand to hand with having quality time with the debugger. Because once you get to that point where you're able to write an automated test around uh, the bug, once you understand the bug well enough that you can write a, a unit test or an integration around it, um, that would be the equivalent of trapping that bug in a room that has no doors and no windows, right? It's got nowhere else to go. So whenever I teach debugging, I start with automated testing. I start with telling people, okay, get to that point where you have a comprehensive enough automated testing suite that you can actually uh solve a bug by first writing a test around it. But of course, that's much, much, much easier said than done. And whenever I say that in front of a crowd, I am I, I can tell that like half of them are thinking to themselves, okay, this guy is, is just, you know, <laughs> waxing poetically about something that, you know, we, we aren't really going to do and no one really does. So we had that, I personally had that switch myself where I sort of had this epiphany moment where I figured out that the only way I'm going to be able to get to that point where my testing suite is strong and suit is, sorry, so to get to that point where my testing suite is strong enough that I can actually write a test around every uh, bug I stumble upon, I need mm-hmm. to be testing at the right level of granularity. Yep. So when we first started writing Ozcode, it was really all too easy to sort of rationalize away any automatic testing because writing tests for a a Visual Studio extension is just crazy hard. And one thing we we were were sort of using as an excuse is that um, the thing that really needs to be tested in Ozcode is our integration with the Visual Studio debugger. But of course, that's really, really hard to debug because usually what you do in a unit test is you'd mock that part out because it's an external dependency. And so we discovered along the way something kind of magical, uh, which is this whole technique called uh, subcutaneous testing. Um, So what that means is that we use MS test and we use a special MS tests thing that's called the test host attribute. 
and we say our test host for this unit test is Visual Studio IDE. And basically what that does is that once you run your unit test, instead of running a normal unit test runner uh, process, which is just a unit uh, process that comes up, loads up all your unit tests and runs them, you actually get a new instance of Visual Studio that comes up and runs all your in unit tests within that Visual Studio process. So the application cool. that we're testing is the unit test runner. And what that lets us do is that basically we don't need to mock out anything. We can write a complete integration test, an acceptance test that basically tests that the scenario, the user scenario from A to Z, everything is working as expected by communicating not at the UI level, which tends to be a bit more fragile, but rather at the service layer. So we're talking to our, our components and the Visual Studio IDE uh, and the Visual Studio SDK components and sort of putting everything into motion and then asserting that the, the behavior actually works correctly at the end. Cool. I'm glad I asked you about that. That's mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah, it's like sort of changed the world uh, from my perspective when I learned about subcutaneous testing because uh, first off, I learned a new word that I didn't know before. <laughs> and secondly, I, I figured out that there are actually a, lot, a bunch of people doing using this technique in all sorts of different ways. So even if you're doing ASP.NET development, if you go and Google for ASP.NET subcutaneous testing, you see a bunch of people explaining how you can actually write a test that will actually bring up your entire website and communicate it with it at the service later, layer, which uh, makes testing a lot easier. And it's all about just writing the test at the right level of granularity. If it's a segregated thing, I'll always prefer to write a unit test because that's much uh, faster running, easier to write, and more, more isolated. But if I'm trying to test out an integration with an external thing that's very tricky and, and very error prone, then yeah, I'll much prefer to write a, a subcutaneous test that that sort of uh, tests the entire thing from A to Z. Cool. On the show that we're huge proponents of VS Code, and now that it supports extensions, is there any way that uh, OzCode would be getting some of the features it has into VS Code? That's a really interesting question. I really, really hope so. I have no idea whether we'll be able to do that or when exactly we'll be able to do that. Yeah, it'd but be there's such a, a paradigm shift, I think. I mean, it's it. I think it's a complete, you know, it's a completely different extension model. And you know, if you're if you're able to reuse some of your backend code, um, there might be some hope. Yeah, I've been taking this uh, an initial look at the VS Code SDK and trying to figure mm -hmm. out what parts we could possibly reuse and what parts we, we couldn't. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways we'd like to sort of branch out. We'd love to make OzCode work for F-sharp and JavaScript and and all these different, and even native code, even C++ debugging uh, in the future. And we'd also love to branch out to VS Code so we can support even more scenarios. Uh, but of course, that's all just, you know, for now in the terms of, of, of you know, things we're thinking of, there's no concrete plans just yet. Very cool. Um, anything else that you wanted to, to share with us? Well, I could tell you a tiny bit about the stuff that we're working on right now. Sure. Um, so what we're trying to achieve right now and the thing that I'm working right now in my day to day is something that I'm very, very excited about. And that is basically a, 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 a link debugging experience that we're trying to create. And that's sort of a uh, a prototype that we're working on for a future feature in version 3.0 of OzCode. And the f problem we're trying to solve there is that 
we feel that the usability of trying to debug a link query in the Visual Studio debugger uh, is not fluid enough in the sense that when you step over a giant link query that's like 10 lines long, um, you well, either the link query stepped through successfully or it threw an exception. But either way, you get absolutely no visibility into what actually went on inside of yeah. that link. Because all you're doing is building an expression, right? You know, there's it's sort of decoupled. And then it, you have this, this other line where you're actually executing that query. And at that point, um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it is just sort of like pass or fail. It's either going to blow up or it isn't. And it's sort of too late to figure out what happened in your expression. It's It's a hard problem to solve. Exactly. And and I see it all the time where people tend to uh, prefer imperative style of coding over the more beautiful, functional, uh, declarative mm -hmm. style that Link gives you, just because it's harder to debug. So it, yep. it it's almost feels like whenever you use it... Yeah, so it, it almost feels like whenever you're trying when trying to use link, you're uh, essentially sacrificing uh, debuggability for readability. And mm -hmm. we'd like to switch that around. We'd like it so that the more functional, declarative, more beautiful side of coding you choose, the easier your code will be to debug rather than the harder. And that's a really complicated problem to solve. Um, we're trying to create a thing where you can actually get these number indicators that you can see, okay, how many items did each part of the link query pull out? And as soon as you click that, you actually get a visualization that shows you everything that went on, how did the information flow throughout the different Lambda expressions, both with annotations that we put on top of your code editor and this visualization that lets you see, okay, I'm looking at the where clause. Here's everything that came into the where clause and here's everything that came out of it or here's the group by. And we draw all these little arrows between the group and everything that went into the group. So we're trying to sort of re sort of reimagine the way link debugging works and sort of create a, this whole new experience for, for debugging functional code, really. And that's what we're working on right now and, and very, very excited. And you can uh, look forward to seeing a video that's about to come out in Channel 9 with me and Seth Juarez, uh, where I showed, a pro showed the prototype. And okay. we're looking forward to putting that prototype out there and, and, and getting people uh, interested in, in trying it out. Because really... The way we create new features is is a lot has a lot to do with the way we interact with the community. So we very openly encourage our customers to essentially uh, brainstorm feature ideas with us, and we get a lot of of value out of that by having those conversations. And sometimes people suggest features, and I'll even say, "Okay, that sounds like a really interesting idea, but I'm not sure I fully get where you're coming from. Let's just have a Skype call, and you can explain better what it is that you want to achieve with this feature that you're you're, you're fantasizing about." And and we get a lot of mileage out of having those conversations and, and and trying to figure out all the different pain points that people have in debugging and fix each one. Very cool. So I, I'm imagining a lot of our listeners are sitting here thinking, wow, Ozcode's pretty awesome. I probably can't afford it. Um, <laughs> infomercial mode. So uh, <laughs> it's got to be a million dollars a license, right? Uh, so no, uh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say our pricing is actually fairly modest if I 
dare say so myself. So uh, our pricing is currently uh, $79 for a personal license if you're buying for yourself and $149 if you're a corporation buying it. But there's these automatic discounts the more per licenses you buy. So if you buy two or more licenses, you get a 10% discount. So you, if you buy six or more licenses, you get a 15% discount and, and so on. Uh, and we actually are giving uh, MS Dev Show listeners a coupon code. So if you go to our website and you put in MS Dev Show as your promotional code, you will get another 20% discount on top of the discounts that are already in place. That is awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Um, anything else we wanted to mention? I think we covered it pretty good. Um, I think I think we uh, I think it's good to um, get people to go out there and, and go out there. And there's a whole bunch of, like I said, animated GIF, GIFs, however you want to pronounce it, uh, that show off a lot of the features that we talked about. So it's pretty cool. Yep. And we also have on our website, this bunch of more in-depth uh, instructional videos mm -hmm. um, that uh, C-Sharp MVP uh, from the UK, Mark Randall did, which are awesome. Uh, okay. So you can go ahead and check those out as well. Very cool. Okay. Let's get into the Azure pick of the week. Uh, so the, my pick this week, you know, I'm going back to some of the basics in Azure and I'm going to keep this pretty short, but, uh, I basically want to draw some attention to Azure blob storage. So we're getting like really, really basic now because essentially Azure is made up of compute and storage, right? And this is like the fundamental storage layer of Azure. So with uh, blob storage, you know, this is, I, I always think of this as the file system for the cloud, uh, but this is super, super flexible. So there's a lot of different redundancy options and I'm not going to go through all of them, but basically you can go from anywhere from three copies of your data to going up to six copies and having it, you know, geographically replicated um, automatically behind the scenes for you. Um, there's also lots of different types of blob storage. So you can do like block data for streaming and storing documents, videos, pictures, backups, and, you know, any kind of unstructured data. Uh, there's also page uh, blobs, which are optimized for random read and write operations. Uh, whenever you create a virtual machine and actually use uh, a blob storage as your disk, um, it's going to be using uh, a page blob. And then there's a relatively new um, blob that I think we might have talked about on the show before, but it's an append blob. So this is optimized for append operations such as logging. So, you know, if Ozcode ever wanted to take their the data that it collects while you're debugging and uh, and store that into the cloud so that somebody could view it there or so they could synchronize it or whatever, they probably end up using uh, a pen blob for for that. Um, so I just want to draw some attention to that. So I'll have some links into the show notes if, if people want to take a look at that. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of different ways that you can integrate uh, blob storage into your application at, at kind of a, you know, foundational level. And Carl, what do we have for the app of the week? So the app of the week this week's a little bit self-serving. So <laughs> it's a podcasting app for iOS called Overcast. And um, to me, it's it's one of the best, you know, straightforward, simple, well-designed apps uh, to play podcasts that I found. And it's got some really cool features. Uh, one of them, which kind of bites us a little bit. Um, I'll get to that <laughs> and, in a second. And, and this is why we started talking about this app. Yeah, um, so it has a feature called Smart Speed, which if you enable it, it removes gaps. Well, part of our new theme song has some very small gaps where the, there's nothing, you know, there's a little bit of silence, yep. and it removes those and makes the theme song sound a little goofy. <laughs> um, but even without that, it's got some cool features like smart playlists, so you can prioritize certain podcasts to always play in front of others. So if, you know... 
uh, you really like MS Dev Show, you can say, hey, every time it comes out, I don't care if I'm in the middle of another podcast, I want you to jump and play it as soon as it shows up. So there's awesome features like that in there. Well, so to be clear, this is for only for iPhone. Um, you can actually play it, you know, work on iPad as well, or you can and, do it online. And Apple Watch. Yeah, and Apple Watch, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but anyway, so w- what's kind of interesting is, you know, like I've used like the Windows Phone podcasting app. I've used some other podcasting apps. I've used the iPhone podcast app. And I actually didn't have any issues with like the iPhone podcast app. Uh, Omer just dropped off, but he'll, he'll rejoin here in a second. Um, so the, um, the built-in podcast app, I've never had any issues with other than it just sort of randomly stopping working every once in a while. So I never really had a reason to go look at a third party podcasting app. Uh, but what's kind of interesting about this, like you mentioned, you mentioned the smart speed, the prioritization, like there actually are a lot of really good reasons to look at some of these third party podcasting apps. Um, so whatever platform you're on, I would recommend checking them out. And this one's taking kind of an interesting approach where they're just like, you know what, we're just going to be awesome on iPhone. And, um, I don't know if they have any plans on going to any other platforms. I don't think he's even going towards the Mac and, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. that would be the most trivial to port to. So, yeah, it's very focused. And you said, you told me before the show, like you saved with this smart speed feature, you saved what, 10 hours so far. Yeah. And I haven't actually used it too terribly long. So that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. I tried it on one podcast. Like it, it's not that it's even, um, you know, like changing like p- voice pitch or anything. I mean, like it's literally saving me like 10, 20% um, of time when listening to a podcast. So, I mean, this thing like saves you time and we know time is money. Right. Um, so, you know, if I can get more content or have more time, it's uh, very cool. So I recommend checking it out. I think those are, those are innovative enough features to get, to get you to switch over to a different podcasting app. And this is, this is a really good one. Okay. What do you got for the dev tip of the week? So once again, I'm jumping back to live tiles. I I just really like live tiles. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, For anybody who's not a windows platform developer, but, um, a really cool control that was recently announced from the, uh, the team that works on tiles is, um, a preview tile control. And, and they actually use this. We, when we had the team on, we talked about the notifications visualizer app. Yep. They actually use this control in there. So what it is, is if you want to show somebody, what their live tile will look like before they actually select it. If you want to provide them several options or Mm -hmm. if they're not even sure if they want to pin your app, you can say, Hey, this is what it'll look like. And maybe you can even provide options for them to customize it. So on here they say there's like some sort of like a live tile for school and uh, you, they have toggles on there that will show different uh, pieces of information, like show incomplete homework or show upcoming exams. So you can let, them customize it and see what it's like before they actually have to pin it. So, which, which is good. Cause I, you know, using as, as a user, like I always, you know, I go in there and I pick my options for what I want on the live tile. Being able to see it is, is necessary. So this is really great. So I think that makes it awesome enough to be the dev tip of the week. I agree. Okay. So Omer, you said you listened to the show, so you're familiar with this game. So I need you to pick a number between one and four. Uh, four. Four. Okay, hold on here. Let me shuffle. Okay, number four. Would you rather run a mile on a six-inch layer of potatoes <laughs> or... Okay. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Or swim across a lake of maple syrup that is 12 feet deep. 
I would probably suffocate on all that maple syrup. So I'll take the first. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Is it is it easier or more difficult to swim in syrup than water? I think that was covered on a MythBusters. Oh really? Yes. Uh, but you don't you don't remember the result, huh? No, it's been a while. That's an exercise for the listener to figure out which is easy. If it's easier to swim in syrup, I think I'm. Well, I don't know though. If there's a lake of maple syrup, like I gotta ask myself what's going on because, <laughs> <laughs> like, what else is in there? It's obviously like you don't want to eat it, um, you know, because you don't know what's going on there. I've other people swam in it. You know, is it a marathon? Anyway, it's Kyle, a horrible way one. to die. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, drown in maple syrup. I'll take two. Maybe if you're Canadian. Uh, Carl, uh, pick number, <laughs> oh, pick number two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> would you rather walk barefoot over, what is with all these walking ones? Would you rather walk barefoot over prickly leaves or over live roaches? Uh, prickly leaves. Yeah, that's, yeah. Kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you would have said live roaches, I would have just disconnected you. And you would have been done. <laughs> Oh, okay. Let's see what else we got here. So, okay. So Omer, where can, uh, where can people find you and, and, uh, learn more about Ozcode? Sure. So, um, my Twitter handle is Omer Aviv. So that's O-M-E-R-R-A-V-I-V at okay. Twitter. And, uh, we can go to our website, which is oz-code.com and see all the cool videos and learn more about the product and download your 30 day trial. Very cool. Well, 30 day trial, and then they're going to use their discount code of uh, MS Dev Show. <laughs> yeah. And then, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. So, Omer, thank you so much for coming on here and finally talking about Oz Code. And I encourage everybody to check it out, but it's a such a cool product. So, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. 